Welcome, welcome, welcome. So glad you guys are here. Thanks for being here with us this morning. It is a great day to be together, to worship, to enjoy, to explore, and each of us in different places in our faith journey, getting asked questions this morning uh, of who Jesus is, each of us getting to encounter the Spirit working in a different way in our lives. I hope you've been experiencing that this morning, uh, and I hope it, it carries on, moves outside these walls and affects the ways that we engage with people around us, right? God is at work in us and through us in this world, and it's a beautiful thing. Hey, friends, so uh, we have begun a series uh, called Real Life, um, Living to the Fullest, and what we wanted to talk about is some of the practical everyday issues that we face as, as followers of Jesus, that, that our world faces, uh, some of the things that really meet us in our homes and in our workplaces, right? And so, uh, so far in our journey, we've studied through the Gospel of Luke, we've studied through the book of Acts, we've um, done some survey of, of Old Testament and, and God's work and the missional God that, that, he, that we believe him to be, right? And so we've been through all all that and we're saying let's talk just really practically for um, a, a couple months here about the things that impact us on a daily basis and we're using James as the primary structure for this now the book of James was written by um, the half-brother of Jesus uh, go back uh, you can get online or uh, um, our, our website and find a podcast and get some more background information to what's going on here in this book but under an ast- with in an astonishing turn of events Jesus brother who had been uh, resistant with questions to what was happening became a follower of Jesus and, and took took uh, pastorship in, in the large in the the formative church there in Jerusalem, beginning this Christian movement, uh, became a great teacher and shaped so much of what was happening in Israel and as the church began to spread. So James writes this book just with practical advice, like like this is how to live. These are important, important things. And uh, if you're going to be here with us through this series, I'd encourage you, if you take some devotional time, like Justin has challenged us to, you know, twice a day reach out to God, sit down and just read a chapter of James each day. Read through it a couple times in the next few weeks. Uh, Really beautiful and pivotal and practical things for our life. And so today, we get to talk about the incredibly simple subject of wealth. That's not simple at all, by the way, because word on the street is the church just wants your money. So it gets really delicate, right, to talk about these sorts of things. But we're going to talk today about wealth. Scripture speaks about it over and over again. And I want to explore this subject together. Um, I, I want to explore it from a biblical perspective. I want to talk about what it looks like in our day-to-day lives because I think Scripture has some beautiful principle principles and guidelines uh, for our lives as we consider wealth and the things that we have. So let's talk about wealth this morning. In America, the poverty line is about $22,000. It is determined that those with an income of less than $22,000 a year uh, are living in poverty. And in 2016, between 12 and 14% of America fell below that poverty line of of $22,000. That's for a family of four, either with two kids in the home or out of the home, and the numbers are slightly different. 12 to 14% of America fell below that line. And that's a significant portion of, uh, you know, our communities, of our nation falling below this poverty line. 
Um, you've heard probably in the news, if you keep track of some of this stuff, and you may have some uh, very heated opinions on this subject. That's okay if you do. It's okay if you don't. Uh, but you've heard about uh, the gap between the rich and poor continuing to um, to expand, right? This gap is broadening, and in America for sure. Uh, throughout the world, though, we're seeing this, where the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And this is devastating in the lives of individuals, even in economies. It, it affects the ways we deal with people and work with people. And, and, and so this is not a new problem. Uh, enter uh, Robin Hood, right? Stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. Trying, to, I mean, these are stories of injustices and problems that have taken place throughout history. I think it's fair, though, to say that as a people today in America, it's something we ought to be keeping our eye on. But I also want to balance that conversation this morning um, with a uh, with some of the standards of world living, this blows my mind and I can hardly even believe. When we talk about poverty in America, sometimes we're talking about an entirely different thing than the poverty that exists throughout the world. Um, in, so t- today, in the last few years, the most recent studies that I was able to read on, more than 80% of humanity lives on less than $10 a day. More than 80% of all humanity lives on less than $10 a day. That's $3,600 a year, right? A fraction of what we call poverty, and that's 80% of humanity. Almost half the world lives on less than $2.50 a day, right? Almost 50% of humans live in that kind of poverty, and it blows my mind because it's like, I, I don't see these things. I don't experience these things, right? This happens outside of the eye of, of our news and, and media, right? Every once in a while, you catch a little glimpse, glimpse of poverty somewhere. But when you look at the way most of the world lives, poverty uh, is devastating. Have you ever been confronted with poverty? It might have happened on a mission trip. Um, I've been blessed over the last 15 years in ministry to lead trips to Nicaragua, Honduras, and Peru. And, um, and those, those three trips, uh, I experienced extreme poverty. I experienced the incredible work of God, even in the midst of pot- poverty. Um, and, and I experienced just life-shaping perspective that says, Quite often when I get inwardly focused, like I don't have enough or things aren't going well in my life, some of those experiences can really reshape the way we perceive the things around us, the world in which we live. But poverty uh, on that level is not exclusively in Nicaragua or Peru. Um, I want you to know that that you... um, are a generous people and part of a generous church that, that ties, that gives to our community. We focus on local, national, and international. And one of the recent experiences we've been having is just a, an increased number of people calling who are homeless or maybe staying in a motel, which is, you know, not sustainable, but it's the only roof they can find to put over their head. And it's very difficult to know how to deal with this, right? Dealing with isolated instances is not sustainable 
systemic change that's going to help um, our community, uh, sometimes not even help the people that we're trying to help. Sometimes it further impoverishes them by, by uh, continuing the cycles that they're stuck in, right? And so you say, how in the world do we deal with this? Um, one of the things that, that I always look for when we get these frequent calls is, are people willing to engage in relationship in addition to receive a financial handout, right? And, and so often I'll ask, hey, would you be willing to have coffee with my wife and I and, and, and we can discuss this together? And uh, quite often that ends conversations in a very awkward way. And, uh, and, and, and sometimes people say yes. About six months ago, Sarah and I had lunch with a gal named Krista who was living in an incredibly rundown motel over in Pasco. And we've walked with Krista for quite a number of months. We receive a lot of calls from her and are unable to meet a lot of her needs, uh, but have remained in relationship with her throughout uh, this, this process. And this last week, I got a call from Krista, like I do most weeks, but this time Krista said, hey, it's my birthday this next week. And Krista's been living on the streets now for a little bit, a, a little while here in the Tri-Cities, and um she calls and she says, my birthday's coming up and I'm over at Day Springs Ministries. I don't know if you've heard of Day Springs. It's something that we, you as a church, uh, are, are supporting and helping. But it's a day shelter for homeless people with showers and bathrooms. Uh, four days out of the week, they feed three meals and other days they feed one or two meals in a day. So seven days a week, they're open, uh, giving um, clothing, showers, uh, bathroom facilities, and food to homeless people in our community. And so Krista called and said, hey, my birthday's coming up. Can you help? We don't have the supplies we need for a birthday dinner and the carrot cake. And I went out and met the chef and, and just some incredible people. Went shopping with Krista and they had um, roast beef, uh, what's that, dip? French dip uh, sandwiches. Uh, they, they made a nice, nice meal. And I was blessed to bring Sarah and, and my kids out. And uh, to stand in this line in this tiny little, just overheated, um, stinky room, uh, surrounded by homeless people, um, many of them willing to engage in conversation. You know, many of them kind of kind of grateful and with just a, a little glimpse of hope, right? And and so we we sat down, and my girls are in a whole nother world right now. You can imagine at seven to nine years old what things looked like to there, what the language sounded like. Uh, you can, I don't know, call me a bad dad maybe for putting them in that environment, but I think it might be quite formative. Uh, the questions that they asked as we left there um, brought up beautiful conversations uh, about needs in our community and the reasons that we live the way that we do, the reasons we look for people that are marginalized, the reasons that we care and respond to needs when we can. We were so blessed to have this meal with Krista and so many uh, of her friends and homeless people in the community. It's something we'll continue to do. And by the way, if this um, kind of tugs at your heartstrings and, and you want to be involved in this sort of stuff, uh, we'd love to do that with you. We think it's incredibly important because poverty is a real thing here amongst us, and poverty is a real thing throughout the world. And so here's where I want to go with all that. I wanted to have a little conversation on poverty first, uh, because quite often when we read the teachings of Jesus or Paul or James, who we'll all hear from today, 
We, uh, when, when we compare our wealth and our things, we always look to the people above us, right? We always look to the people with more, and we say, see, I don't, I don't have that much, or I don't have too much, because there's always someone that has more. But, but today I wanted to balance our conversation saying, what if we looked at the people that had, a, had less, a little less, or, or maybe those that had a lot less, and, and begin to gauge by that, because I wonder, how much stuff would I have if I didn't know what the next guy had? right? I wonder, how much would I give if I didn't know how little other people gave? I wonder, how much would I save uh, of my money and, and, and my finances if I didn't know how little other people were saving, right? Sometimes just our perception of what's happening around us, the people around us, drastically taints the way we live, the way we think, the way we operate. So I wonder, what would it look like if we had a very different perception? Do you remember that time in your life when you first started realizing you needed to accumulate wealth, you needed to make money? For many of us, it happened at a very young age. Uh, you're a child in a store asking your parents for everything you see, like my daughters do with me now, right? And your parents say no, and you realize, well, I'm going to have to come up with my own money to buy the things that I want. It's amazing how at a very young age, the pursuit of things and money can be born inside of us, right? That, that, that time that we realize that my hopes and my dreams will hinge upon my ability to make money and manage it well. And if that sounds a little wrong to you, it should, because I don't think it's the way that we're called to live, but it is the way I think we're often conditioned in our very consumeristic world that we live. So um, we're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about finances and wealth, and, um, and we're going to listen to uh, Jesus, Paul, and James, all very important. Uh, but I want to I consider this idea that, that money changes people. Right? And I don't think it's a far stretch to imagine that. Money changes the way we, we think and we operate. And so we'll go to the incredibly wise uh, Jim Carrey for a little bit of perspective on the way money changes people. All right, that's good. He's got nothing else to say for us. Uh, if nothing else, it lightens the mood. And what I want to begin to consider... Um, as we're talking about finances, and it's a scary subject, right? What I want to consider is uh, how does how does wealth begin to change us? How does how does it affect the ways we live and that we work? So Jesus tell, is going to tell us this. We're going to be in Luke chapter 16, and Jesus is going to tell us, um, contrary to popular opinion, uh, you may have your house paid off. You may have your cars paid off. You may have a a rainy day savings account and a retirement fund and saving for your college, uh, your, your kids' college degrees, right? You may have all that in line, but contrary to popular opinion, Jesus is gonna say, you still could have derailed your finances because Jesus cuts to the heart of the matters, right? Jesus brings conversations back to, um, to our perspective, to our, uh, our pursuits in life. He brings it back to the issues of the heart, and he says it's more than just whether or not you're managing your money well. What have you given your heart to? And so in Luke chapter 16, 13, he says this, no one can serve two masters. 
Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Listen to language Jesus uses there. He speaks of of masters uh, as God or money, as potential masters in our lives. And, And he says that you can't serve both of them. The language, the question here is not even about money. The question is about ownership, about property, possession, right? The question is, who owns you? Because here's the question when it comes to finances. Do you have finances or do finances have you, right? Do you have money? Do you have things? Or have they begun to consume our lives and become a central purpose? And Jesus says, you can't serve both masters. As followers of Jesus, if money has come to master you, then you can't be serving God to, your, to the fullest, right? You can only have one master. So he says, um, you can't serve both God and money. And he continues in verse 14, the Pharisees who loved money, they heard all this and they were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Jesus speaking to these Pharisees who he's quite often in conflict with, They're the religious rulers of the day. They are corrupt and they are out for their own gain and their own glory calls them on this one. He says, your money makes you look good, right? You like money because it makes you look powerful. It makes you look good in the eyes of others. And I think that applies really well in our culture and our times, the clothing we wear or the cars we drive or so on and so forth. Let's be honest. We're trying to put a good foot forward. You know, money and the things that we have allow us to look prestigious and good and popular and whatever in the eyes of people around us. And he warns these Pharisees, when that becomes a priority in life, you are headed down a dangerous, dangerous road. So in, in 1 Timothy, you've, you've heard this said, uh, money is the root of all evil, right? We've, we've heard that. Uh, you've heard that misquote before. Did, did, did you hear the misquote in there? Money is the root of all evil is what you often heard said, and that's not what it says. 1 Timothy chapter 6, I want you to go back and read verses 1 through 5, but here's what uh, Paul is saying to Timothy in this letter. He's saying, people have robbed you of the truth by convincing you that godliness is a means to financial gain. If you're looking back in verse 4, you'll see those those words phrased uh, differently. Um, People have robbed you of the truth by convincing you that godliness is a means to financial gain. And I can nod my head to that. I've, I've, people have tried to convince me of that. I remember when I said, the rumor on the street is that church is all about your money. This is part of that conversation. And, and Paul speaking to Timothy says, nope, you have missed the truth. You've been robbed of the truth if you're convinced that godliness is a means to financial gain. Listen to this in verse six, but godliness with contentment is a great gain. We're going to come back to that word contentment. Listen to that. Godliness with contentment is, is of great gain. For we, uh, for we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap uh, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money... 
is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. All right. Did you hear that? So for the love of money, the subject is not the money. The subject of the root of all evil or the root of all kinds of evil, depending on what your translation says, the root of that is not the money itself, but the love of it. Right? He says that, that when you begin to love money more than other things in life, more than anything else in life, it is a root of all kinds of evil. And let me say, that resonates very true. Have you ever, maybe you have friends, maybe you've pursued this at some point in your life where it's, uh, it's all about getting that next thing. It's all about getting that bigger paycheck. And have you ever noticed how anytime you make a make a mark, right? You 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 make a step forward. There's always another to be taken. Like you will never get there. Have you have you ever noticed how consuming the pursuit of money or things is in life? It consumes us, and it leads us down a terrible road. Is what Paul is warning here. And finally, we'll listen to the words of James, um, James chapter two. He says, "My brothers and sisters." Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Okay, now he's going he's gonna to talk in this section um, about the posture of the wealthy. And at the beginning, we talked about poverty because I wanted for most of us in this room to associate with the term wealthy, right? Uh, I wanted most of us to be able to say, yeah, I, I have quite a bit. And let me take a step back because I forgot to come back to the word contentment in the previous passage. Uh, Godliness with contentment is great gain, is what he had said. So I wanted us, us to resonate as those people that have a lot. That, that have the things we need. He mentions in there that we have clothing and food, and that's good enough for me. We, we have those things. And so we are the people that strive to be content. And now James is going to challenge us, challenge us that um, from that elevated position in which you live, there's going to be a real risk to the way you perceive the people around you. So he said, brothers and sisters, those of you that follow, followers of Jesus, uh, you must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, that would look kind of strange today, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a great seat for you, but to the poor man, you you say, sit over there or sit by my feet on the floor, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? He'll go on to say, God has chosen the poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit his kingdom. He'll go back to reshape our thinking. But here's the challenge that comes up in James. Here's what James addresses most pointedly on the subject of wealth. He says it will shift the way you think about and see people around you. The more successful we become, the easier it's going to be for us to write off the poor. But let me just say that is not the way of Jesus, not at all. Uh, In James chapter 4, he speaks of boasting. Uh, He says, you know, you make your plans and, and you intend to make good money and your arrogant schemes are in fact boasting. 
assuming that you know better than God. And I'll not go into detail on that passage for the sake of time, but if you want to read a little bit more in James chapter 4, verse 13 and following, um, James speaks a little bit more to the subject. So I want to get practical right now. Uh, You know, I want to move from this position of uh, self-entitlement. I want to move away from this place of feeling superior, showing favoritism, as he talks about. I want to move towards this place of contentment uh, on this subject. And the word that I cannot get around as I consider that is generosity. I think at the heart of, of when we talk about finances, when we try to figure out how will I live, how does a Jesus follower manage their finances, how do they plan, how do they move forward, generosity comes to mind. In a little bit, we're going to take communion, and we're going to remember the incredibly generous God who gave everything for us. And today, I want to challenge us as those privileged, wealthy people to consider generosity. I think this is central to overcoming the dangers of wealth. So I want to talk a little bit about practical applications. How, how, do, how do I develop in generosity in my life? And I want to propose three things to us. Uh, these are things that I want you to search out and consider in the week to come. But three things, practical applications, practical ways to grow generosity in our lives, to overcome our our love of money and things and wealth. Number one, uh, worship breeds generosity. You see, in worship, we acknowledge something, someone higher than ourselves. We put our own superiority aside and, and we worship saying, God, you are high and you are mighty. Maybe you can catch a glimpse of how that begins to take our focus off of self and place it on something much much better and much, much higher. Worship breeds generosity. Secondly, I'd say thankfulness breeds generosity. That if we could learn to be really thankful for the things we have, notice we begin to realize them as a gift from God instead of something I've earned and I owe, I've been owed, right? But learning to be thankful begins to reshape our thought processes when it comes to money. This is a gift from God, and generosity comes onto the table as we realize this is God's that he has entrusted me with. And finally, so worship breeds generosity, thankfulness breeds generosity, and finally, giving breeds generosity. Now, I realize those are kind of synonymous terms, right? And and I get maybe there's some irony in that. But I absolutely know that in every sport you want to do, in any instrument you want to play, in anything you want to be good at in life, it takes practice and training. And I believe if we want to be generous people, we will need to give, right? We will need to choose to give. And so uh, some of the ways that plays out in Christian people's lives Many people do some sort of percentage giving. Some people do 10% or something like that. This is a goal that we're setting for our children and a practice we're trying to instill in them. They just got their birthday money from their birthdays this month, and, uh, and, and we want to teach them with this money at young ages that giving is important, and they can give to whatever organization or charity they choose, but we want to put 10% aside for giving right? And we want that to be the first 10% out of what they're doing. And then we want to set 10, 10% aside in savings for them. We think this is a good practice that, that will really benefit them in the long run to have learned to, at the beginning, on the front end, to learn to give and to save. And then we want to explore 
what do we want to do with that 80%? How's that best used? To ask good questions of, sure, that may be the, the thing most on your mind that you want in this very moment, but ask the questions of what's most important, just like you and I do with our finances in our lives, right? So, so we want to teach our children to give at a young age because giving breeds generosity. Giving in thankfulness reminds us that this was not my own, but a gift given to me. I think it's a beautiful way of life, one that I think all of us should be considering in some way, shape, or form. How will I be giving in my life? All right, so here's where I want to wrap this all up, and I want to take communion together in just a minute as we reflect on God. Jesus said this to us, money can rule your life, and it's a cruel master, right? Jesus says money is, is begging to be the master in our lives. Paul says that the love of money will lead us down terrible paths, it breeds evil in life. And so we challenge ourselves, uh, or Paul challenges us to move towards a posture of contentment, Right? So having chosen God as my master, I say, God, teach me to be content. Teach me to be content no matter how much I have, lots, or how little I have. God, teach me to be content. And James says that affluence, that opportunity breeds favoritism, elitism, a posture that, that like I'm better than someone else because of what, of what I've had or what I've done. But as followers of Jesus, we are those people that strive to be generous, knowing that poverty is a very real issue nationally and internationally. We are those people that choose to live generously that practice giving, that, that thank God for the things that we have, and that worship, that worship God, allowing ourselves to become secondary and our things far beyond that, right? And God placed in that number one position. So as we as we go to the table today, the the band's going to come up and they're going to um, and, and they're going to close out for us today. And we have communion set up on both sides of the auditorium. If you're new to the concept of communion, in this we remember Jesus' body that was broken on a cross. Uh, we remember Jesus' blood in, in the juice, remembering his, his blood that was shed. And so we take this bread and we dip it into the grape juice, in that remembering Jesus' sacrifice and his death, and an ultimate act of generosity and love, like I believe the Bible is inviting us into today. But remember, we don't act first in this relationship with God. Our generosity and our love is an outpouring of the overflow of love and generosity that God has poured into our lives. And so today as we take communion, we remember God's generosity and his love. And his love. Uh, we invite ourselves to remember a risen Savior, the hope that we have and the reason that we move forward in this world out of love and generosity because that Savior lives and we have hope. So today as you take communion, I'll invite you uh, as the band plays our final song and as we close out, take communion, come back to your seats. If you want to stand, that would be great as we worship together and as we close out.
Hey, thanks for being here with us today. The reason we get to talk about wealth and generosity in life is because we have been blessed. And, and so we just want to, you know, give it up to God saying, God, thank you for what we have. I'll encourage us today as we go to consider what does generosity look like in each of our individual lives? What does it look like for me to live thankfully and generously in the world around me? Hey, you're smart people. You can figure out what that looks like in your life, right? But I want to invite you to engage those questions around a dinner table, to engage those questions as you reflect and as you pray today. We want to thank you for being here. Uh, We'll close out with a prayer. Father God, we thank you for the good God that you are. We thank you uh, for for being the God that gives generously, that gave your son for us. And we thank you for this time of communion to remember that. Father, help us to live generously. Father, to to rightly assess, am I that person of wealth? Father, am I that person showing favoritism? Father, please invite us to know the character of Jesus and in that to find new purpose and direction in life, a purpose and direction that invites us towards love and generosity as you have shown us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, friends, thanks again for being here. Feel free to stick around, have a conversation, meet some people around you, and have a blessed week.